I'm Catherine Kingsley. And I'm Catherine Stern. And this is Contemplating Culture, a missionary walk through a secular age. Together we journey through A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, a book looking at the history and philosophy of how the world got where it is, and the impacts of our contemporary culture for us today as missionaries. And we're inviting you to join the conversation. So, welcome to Contemplating Culture. Today's a special kind of episode because Kat and I are actually doing this via Zoom from two different states. That's a first for us. So sound quality will probably be a little bit different and all those kinds of things. But anyway, it's good to see you as well as hear your voice, Kat. Absolutely. I'm interested to see if this will actually improve the sound quality and make me sound like I'm um, not like half as loud as you. Anyway, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. So today, finally, we reached the end of chapter one. Um, So we've done the introduction and today's the end of chapter one. And so it's kind of like a time, I guess, of looking over. So this chapter has been the bulwarks of beliefs. We've been looking at different things that were in place in society that kind of held faith very linked to the way things were. And we've been talking about the way that these have started to unwind, I guess. So today we finally get to the end of chapter one, and this has been the bulwarks of belief. So Taylor here likes to kind of just go through, I guess, a bit of a a summary of of where society is at this point. So I've titled this section, The Ascent and Anxiety of Reform, and it gives you a pretty clear indication of what Taylor's talking about here. He's talking about the things that are on the rise, and because of that, the anxiety that's kind of left within this movement of reform. So one of the really interesting things, I guess, that happened in history is the Reformation, right? That the Reformation kind of happened in the midst of this time. And so some of these ideas that we've been talking about not only paved the way for it, but very much were carried through as the Reformation started to take off or kind of attached to it, you know? So I kind of imagine it as like a bit of a little plane or something like that. And it's it's taking off to and kind of with the Reformation. And so on board, like in the cabin, you've got disenchantment, right? And we've talked about that a lot. That's kind of the idea that things are void of higher purpose or meaning or things like that. There's no spirits out there. Everything is disenchanted. Of, of its power. And then you've got this rise of humanism. So humanism, similar to disenchantment, but it's, well, if we're not looking at all the physical things as having a divine purpose or having spirits, you know, like we've now got that buffered self, well, then really as humanity, what we need to think about is human matters and We're not even at exclusive humanism so much yet as we're just at humanism. So this rise of concern for human affairs, you know, rebuilding society, setting out to get good education, discipline, all these kinds of things that kind of going to work together for the masses rather than just for the few. And he says there's kind of like three engines powering this plane on. The first one he says is like the inward and intense personal devotion. So we've been looking at this rather than just kind of the the monks and 
the holy people having a, a personal relief, everyone's now called to do that. Everyone is now called to, to have an inner prayer life. We can see that in the way that it kind of gets the Reformation moving. At the same time, we've got this greater uneasiness of, of sacramentals. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole idea of disenchantment that will suddenly, especially because the sacraments are ministered by priests, right, and we've started to have that doubting of their goodness and their holiness, we've started to doubt the presence of spirits or even kind of higher purposes kind of attaching themselves to physical things. And so now there's like a bit of an uneasiness about them. And so we also talked about the anxiety of death, which kind of brought about then this movement into anxiety of judgment and personal judgment, not so much the general judgment that everyone, you know, the body of humanity will go through, but but me, what about me? Like salvation is now kind of my responsibility. And so all these things kind of charge into the Reformation together. and. It will take a little bit of time for them to get kind of untangled, a little prelude to where we're heading. And so he says in this way we've got like two kind of movements, like there's this energy on both ends that kind of gets reform really going. You know, the first one is that that drive to reform that we've been talking about, that push to remake the world, that responsibility to remake it, the possibility that we can. And then on the other side we've got, you know, the pushing away of the bulwarks, the rejection of the old, the rejection of, I guess, the way that people thought before the sciences started developing. All of that stuff is naive and old-fashioned and all that kind of thing. And so what we have here is the perfect kind of, I guess, place for humanism to rise out of. So then he gives us like a little tale of the ascent of humanism. So this is kind of like, how did we, how did we become so focused? on people as a society, as a Western society. So the next thing Taylor kind of looks at is is the ascent of humanism. You know, like how in such a short period of time did humanity go from, you know, like a whole that was focused and ordered towards God in the West to kind of really becoming focused on humanity. So that's what humanism is, is kind of like looking at humanity and human matters and human needs kind of thing. And so he says one of the first kind of things that happens is we were talking about a number of weeks ago about the tension of the feudal system, effectively, the hierarchy. So you've got you've got the lords protect all and the priests pray for all and, you know, like the peasants work for all, right? Um, but there's a lot of tension there if if you're in the peasant category. And eventually, you know, we get to the French revolutions and they kind of cut down the church and the monarchy and decide, you know, that they want to make a push for equality. And one of the things that they try and undo in this process is, is all the tensions, you know, all the natural rhythms and things that are there and try and remake society well-ordered one of the big tensions that kind of sat in society around this time was between the cross and human flourishing. So I mentioned the holy renouncers. That would be like you and me, Kat, like the kind of people that that lived for something more than what they could see in front of them, 
you know, the people who had, not that they were against human flourishing, but definitely were living for something more. So if you can undermine them, undercut them, kind of cut them out from society, uh, then everyone's living for the same goal, which is just human flourishing. And well, what does this human flourishing look like? So it looks like a disciplined personal life. So getting, you know, just not the few of the elite, but getting everyone, even, you know, the naive majority, getting them on board with understanding that they're, they're called to a, a disciplined personal life. Why? Really because it's good for society, right? If you don't have murders and thieves and all that kind of thing, like if everyone's got their own personal life disciplined, then your society's going to be well ordered. And it's just, you know, like a less stressful, more flourishing kind of environment. You know what else? It's more productive. If you can make sure that you have less thieves and more workers, then your whole society is going to be, you know, better off economically is going to be they're going to be better fighters if wartime comes so there's all these kind of factors right and so he says that one of I guess the little pockets of Christianity that that really honed in on this was the Puritan Calvinist society very much you know like cutting out sexual immorality and anything that was kind of unproductive and just working you know towards everyone kind of having an ordered in a life that then led to an ordered society that then led to a productive society, human flourishing. And they kind of get to this point where they're like, we're kind of pulling this off, you know, like, and then it's not so difficult then to move to, well, if we've made this society, you know, the bulwark of, of God holding society together has been knocked down by this point, right? So if we've made this society and it's it's kind of working, like maybe we don't need God to order our society anymore, right? So it's not so many steps further from there to, ah, uh, we don't really need God. And so you can still have God because you want to have God. There's other reasons you could have God, but suddenly you don't need God to have a well-ordered society. And so this is the ascent of humanism because then you end up in this, this place where people are thinking less and less about God and more and more about human matters, human flourishing, flourishing of human society. But he says, like, all's not really so rosy, right? Because what's left is, is this society that has been through war and famine and plague and just, like, countless reforming movements there's just this destabilization right that at any moment things could shift you know like a new kind of movement could come into power and that could change everything again a new natural disaster could wipe through the land and so so people living in this few hundred year period are seeing rapid changes and it's it's left them anxious and so he calls that the anxiety of reform. And the other thing that I kind of see with this is that because they've worked to form this society that is now like the thing that they wanted, it means that you have to keep walking to keep it there, right? There's, there's no longer God holding it in place. So we have to be the ones. And it kind of becomes like an endless, endless kind of work. And it's one of the things like we've 
we've talked a lot about anxiety so far, but this is kind of where he leaves us before we move on to the next chapter. Mm. And like from what I'm noticing, looking at your notes, we're talking about centuries worth of experience here. Like it, this is actually, while it like fits neatly into a one or two or three cartoons here, we're not talking about something that happened overnight. We're talking about stages of the experience of like a whole continent slowly kind of evolving, really. I do wonder, you, you said we've talked a lot about anxiety. It does make me wonder. We often say, oh, there's a lot of anxiety around these days. I wonder if people were saying that around this mm. period of history, whether um, they're aware. They were aware. But because I'm a conscious, we've talked a lot about anxiety. I was thinking maybe <laughs> we could steer slightly away from discussing anxiety again. I'm most people are going to think that this is the Contemplating Anxiety podcast. <laughs> Um, although it is a big part of our modern culture, so I don't think it's um, yeah, necessarily it's inappropriate to be talking a lot about it. I think it even just gives a lot of context to exactly what we're trying to do, uh, getting a picture of how we got here, you know? Yeah. Well, what I was thinking about was control mm -hmm. um, because what I'm hearing here is people thinking that the way to deal with the world is to, that we need to be in control you know, disenchantment and the sort of slow disappearance of God as being the glue to society leaves this gap that is eagerly taken up by humanity. But I was just thinking about in, in our individual lives. I don't know about you, but without God to rely on, my instinctive response to life is to take control. And it's a sort of an instinctive response to an anxiety of like, who's going to look after me? What's what's happening in the in the world might not be safe unless I take some control and well, not some control, take all control really. And I don't think that's an uncommon experience that taking of control or needing to take control, needing to be in control and being anxious when I'm not in control mm. because I don't have a God who's looking after the world and looking after me. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've done, uh, you would know, a lot of research kind of around anxiety, depression and faith. And that's one of the factors that they use in research called the locus of control. The difference that it can make believing that the locus of control is within me or outside of me, right? If, if I think that that's happening and I can't change it. I'm actually more likely to see growth than if I think I'm the center of control. And so if I'm not doing something, then it's my fault kind of thing. It's just like mm. that openness to there being control outside of me is actually a huge indicator for yeah trajectory, I guess, of mental health, which is just so mm. fascinating. And in terms of the life of faith, it's just this huge thing for me in my own life, but in people I direct to is this journey of trust, learning to kind of, you know, the little slogan cards with let go and let God, learning to trust that God's got me, God's got life, God's got the world and relax into that is almost an art form for us today. That sort of shows me how far we've moved from a society where God really was the glue. We're sort of wired these days to, to take control and to a minute level. We're sort of 
micromanaging. We don't trust anybody else to have our back. We don't trust anybody else to be looking out for us in that big bad world out there. Like we've lost a sense of God as not just big enough, but small enough to care about the little things. And I wonder even just listening to that, as I've been listening to you talk, I've just been thinking about, so you're very good at this, Kat. You often (laughs) talk about things before we get to them because I guess what's going to happen in our next chapter is exactly this. They're going to try and take control of society. So our next chapter is about disciplinary society, you know, when they try and control it through discipline, through what is polite and all of those kinds of things. But I've been thinking as you were talking about how, like, yes, this happened on a society level, but I think now we're even finding that it has started to come down to a family level, like that the family is somehow not as secure as it once was. And a lot of work is done on like attachment styles, right? So that's another area of the research that they do with anxiety and depression and looking at faith life kind of stuff. And it's like, if you have formed those secure attachments with your parents, you're going to be more likely to understand a God who that you can securely attach to, who you can trust, right? Mm, Um, But I'm thinking about, you know, the more each generation is receiving parents who are working more for the more, the more that our parents are caught up in this cycle of anxiety, the more we're recipients of parenting that's maybe flawed in so many ways that might be difficult to even know what it is to trust that your needs will be provided for, you know, like maybe they fed and clothed you and all that kind of thing, but they were too busy to notice the thing that you wanted or see the little subtleties of what you needed. So how can we then, if that's our relationship, it's a big job to then be able to believe that God could care about the little things to us, you know, like that it's not just on a society level. Now I think it's kind of breaking down even further to, I think, even at that family level. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking about how it is you can come to know God as father, as provider, as protector, as lover, if you've never experienced those things or you haven't experienced parents who are those things. And I guess I was thinking that there's something even in our recognition of the wrongness of our negative experiences, whatever our experience was, that's not what God is like because we're innately recognising that was wrong. That's not the measure of the standard of, of love or goodness or kindness or whatever. So uh, you make a good point. Like if, if we haven't experienced, um, I guess, that secure attachment in our family life, if we haven't experienced, even if we had very loving parents, but we weren't able to receive the love in the way that we needed, whatever it was, what are some ways that we as missionaries can help people kind of bridge that gap? And then like, what's some ways that individuals even listening to this can kind of engage with if they fall into that category as well? Have I talked about gratitude on this podcast before? I get a bit scared that I'm repeating myself, but I would start with gratitude because I think when we stop and notice the gifts in our day, the things that make us smile, that bring us joy, that have been a relief or you've noticed as God providing or protecting or healing, maybe you can't name it as that to start with. 
but if you can just name the things that you were grateful for in your day and then to stop and acknowledge that God is the giver of all good gifts and that somehow every one of these gifts come from his hand. Starts, especially if you do it very consistently, it starts to bring a sense of well-being, of being cared for. Mm-hmm. Of no, and of knowing God as the one who is doing that, whoever else's hands or however else he's bringing it about. But that connection in my brain of, you know, the beautiful sunny day and the person that brought my washing in and the person who rang me with good feedback from something I did or whatever it is, ultimately is, is God's gift in my life. Mm, that's good. That's very simple as well. Um, and what about as as missionaries, like how can we help people kind of get there? Well, I think you could start with gratitude, helping people just notice the good things in their lives in their day, that whether or not they know someone, they know who it is that I would be grateful to. A lot of people get the concept of being grateful without directing it somewhere. I'm grateful for the sunshine today. I'm grateful for the people who helped me get this job done or whatever it is. And I guess then the gift that we have to give is when there's an opportunity, when there's that disengaged moment from their stance of unbelief, then there might be an opportunity to connect that gratitude, those good things, that sense of well-being to a someone who is looking out for providing, protecting, caring, loving them. That's good. And I reckon... Maybe one of the other things as well is just, I guess, helping people think about it. Like I think often our image of God is sitting very unconscious, like we're acting out of our image of God, but we have no idea how that matches up against other people's image of God. And so, you know, we might think we understand what they're talking about, but we actually have no idea because we've been so formed by our environment and kind of how we interpreted different things as we were growing up. So something around, yeah, just helping people understand maybe some of their broken images of God and then that there's actually a fuller kind of image of God that they could be receiving as well, that one of provider, like unconditional provider, you know, the one who who can be trusted, all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's that dynamic of tell me about the God you don't believe in. I'll probably find I don't believe in him either. Yeah. Um, And then let me share with you the person that I know, the God who I'm in relationship with. Awesome. So as we kind of come to a close on this chapter, maybe we can just share something that that has kind of struck us or stayed with us through our discussions so far through this chapter, just as a little way of kind of summarising for us, I don't know, like what the gift of this chapter has been to us so far. Well, I think the thing that that I've been pondering as we've gone through is how much the both end is striking me, that that there's a sense in which I want to rebuild some of what we've been lost. I want to take hold of, you know, a sense of God holding the world and responsible for the world so I don't have to be in control. But at the same time, balancing that with a sense of my own agency within that context that some of what we've gained is worth keeping. It's not all bad. It's not like what Taylor is describing is a 
a descent from a perfect society that we need to refind. But some of the values and some of the things we've picked up along the way are good and helpful, but I don't want them by themselves. <laughs> I still want to rebuild some of these bulwarks of belief that enable a trust in a God who is holding the world together and who has empowered me to live and act as agent within it. So I guess I'm back with my Catholic both and holding two unlikely things together. Yeah, and it's good. You make a great point that we're not kind of moving through this history timeline going, well, this was bad and this was a bad move, this was a bad move. It's more just like a, a recount, you know. This is what happened. This is the outcome that eventuated and other outcomes could have been possible and we're not even saying that the outcome we have is bad, but we're just looking at where did faith, where did God get lost in the picture? And as missionaries, like how can we be moving in this time today? I think for me, it's something around, like I've just been feeling the weight of, I guess, what we have now, of the pressure in every way to to rebuild, to remake, to charge things with purpose, to charge ourselves with purpose, to charge time with purpose. So for me, the gift has been something about remembering just to rest, that that I'm already created with purpose, that time is already beautiful and meaningful before I put anything in. It's it's not kind of demanding anything of me so much as just wanting me to receive the gifts and like very much so what you were talking about, gratitude kind of thing. Like I don't need to go through my day listing achievements. <laughs> More so I meant to go through my day with here's the gifts that the day had for me kind of thing. So for me, it's very much about that kind of resting. Yeah, so this is great. End of chapter one. Huge step. Can I butt in there and just say that I'd love to hear some um, listener feedback on that too. I'd love you to like email in or something and tell us what you've taken away from this chapter. I've had some feedback of people saying similar things to KK. It'd be great to... Um, yeah, have you actually joined the conversation? Yeah, I'm actually thinking stay tuned to our our social media because I think maybe at some point we'll do a, a Q&A as well. We'll get everyone's questions in and then have a session kind of just exploring wherever they take us. So stay tuned for that. I'm about to head on retreat shortly, so it'll be in a little while. But, um, yeah, hopefully at some point because I agree it would be, it'd be great to get, yeah, just some more voices in on the conversation. Um, so I guess that's something for you as well. The challenge today is to, if you're listening to this, yeah, let us know directly what you've been receiving so far and how you've been sharing it. Um, let us know what you've been doing. And maybe as a close for this chapter, Kat, if you'd just like to lead us in a little prayer. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we just thank you for this opportunity to reflect on our world and where it's come from and what we experience now. Thank you that then and now and all the times in between, you, you hold it, you hold us. And that wherever we think we're going, you actually know where we're going and you've got our future. Just ask that you would open each one of us to a recognition of how you are in control in our lives, how you lead and guide us at the same time 
as empowering us. I ask you to bless each one of us and bless our conversation. Amen. Amen. This has been Contemplating Culture, a podcast produced by the Missionaries of God's Love Sisters. For more information from today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. We pray that today has blessed you, and most importantly, we invite you to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.